The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Before we get started with this episode of Bench with Bubba, I want to talk to you about the Black Book. The Fantasy Black Book is back for Season 10 of the Fantasy Baseball season, and yours truly is a part of the great group of writers over there breaking down your catchers and your relief pitchers. We cover all the positions, NFBC talk, AFL, over 100 prospects, tons and tons of draft strategy by some of the best in the business. You got the Welsh, you got Ariel Cohen, you got Joe Pisapia, of course, Matt Modica, Nate Dawkin, Eric Cross. I know I'm forgetting people, and it's so, so bad, but there's so many great people over there. So go check them out. Tell them Bubba sent you. Fancy Black Book's available on Amazon. Get the Kindle version or the actual paperback version. Everything you want, all in one book, 10th editions, number one in fantasy sales already. So go check it out, Fantasy Black Book, Fantasy Baseball Edition. Tell them Bubba sent you. Now, when we're on to episode 232 of Bench with Bubba with Derek Boyd of Baseball HQ, talking the Mayberry Method, which is a great uh, baseball HQ way of evaluating talent, a bunch of players, a bunch of comparisons, a ton of great information, as always, from Derek. So give a rating and review on iTunes. We'd much appreciate it. But for now, enjoy the show. everybody to another episode of Ben with Bubba, episode 232 gonna talk some more fantasy baseball with a recurring guest to the show you can find his work over at baseball hq he's on twitter at derek bhq derek boyd how we doing man i'm doing great thanks so much for having me on today yeah thanks for joining me like i was telling you in the, in the before we got started I, I really enjoyed the chat last time and a lot of people did you guys at uh, baseball hq do um, amazing work so i love chatting with pretty much anybody over there that i've had on the show it's, it's always been good, super knowledgeable, cover all the different aspects of it. Um, why don't you let everybody know what you do over there and what you plug away, whatever you want. So the floor is yours. Sure. Thank you. So I uh, write an article with a number of other um, analysts at, at Baseball HQ called Facts and Flukes. And what we do is we just cover five players and analyze their statistics uh, over the past number of years and try to figure out whether their performance has been a fact or a fluke. And and uh, what to expect going forward based on on what they've done in the past so that's that's my uh main contribution to baseball hq i've been a i was a subscriber for years before i started writing for them and uh have loved ron chandler's work and as well as many of the other guys over there brent and ray and and uh, a lot of their talented uh staff that that, uh, that i get to work with now so yeah yeah, it's an awesome group, and we're going to do some facts or flukes a little later on, some kind of guys you've been looking into or some that kind of, you know, were interesting to me because they had some interesting years last year, and do we believe it? Do we not? It, it's a with, with drafts actually starting up, I saw last night the first online championship, Rotowire one, started up on NFPC. So we've, we still have the draft champions leagues, the draft and holds type formats, but we're actually getting into the real stuff here pretty soon. So 
it's going to be interesting. A lot of these discussions are going to be had, and I'm curious to get your viewpoint on some because that's the beautiful thing I love about fantasy baseball. And one thing I love about doing this podcast is everyone has a different opinion and everyone has a lot of validity in their opinion. So it's fun to kind of get all the different opinions together and kind of see where we can finish our, uh, maybe get a final answer or the closest thing to a final answer on said player. So lots and lots of fun with that regard. But let's kick it off before we go into specific player analysis. There's one thing you, you brought up that it's very, very intriguing to me. I still don't, I guess I don't grasp it all yet, but it makes a lot of sense when you really break it down. Baseball HQ has the Mayberry method. Why don't you explain to the listeners what the Mayberry method is? Sure, I'd be happy to. So this is uh, one of Ron Chandler's babies, and uh, he came up with this a number of years ago. And it, it's named for the fictional town in the Andy Griffith show uh, where life was a lot simpler, if you remember the, <laughs> the town of Mayberry. Um, if you're familiar with that show, it brings back a lot of good memories for me. But uh, so from Ron Chandler's own pen, he says that <clears throat> the Mayberry method evaluates skills by embracing the imprecision of the forecasting process and projecting performance in broad strokes rather than with hard statistics. Um, so basically what it does, Mayberry breaks down uh, component skills for, for batters. It's power, speed, batting average, and playing time. And for pitchers, it's uh, we use XERA as a kind of an overall uh, catch-all for pitching skills, but in particular for, for as a substitute for ERA, uh, we use K per nine for strikeout ability, and then saves, and then playing time. So those are the four categories for each batters and pitchers, and each of those categories is rated on a scale of zero to five, with where zero being the lowest and five being the greatest. So you're you know, your Giancarlo Stantons, your, your big uh, mashers would be a, a five on the power scale. And then your little slap hitters would probably end up being a zero or a one. Usually it's, it's a one for lower end guys. So um, when you, and then there's a method for combining all of those scores to get a an overall score for each player. So players who are really well-rounded, batters who have power, speed, batting average and are expected to have full-time at-bats, they can receive a Mayberry score uh, that is a compilation of all of those components of as high as 100. So 100 would be the top score for a batter. Last year, the only batter who ended up with a score of 100 was Christian Yelich. Um, and then the same thing for pitchers. They can end up with a 100 and if, when you compile all their, their scores. And there were a, a few pitchers last year in 2019 who ended up with, with perfect 100 scores. And those were Verlander, DeGrom, Garrett Cole, and Charlie Morton. And no, I, I like that. It keeps it real simple. Sorry to interrupt you. I, I think it's an interesting way to go about it. Like a Billy Hamilton would be a zero on the power. But um, sorry, but continue. I think it's, it's really interesting hearing it this way instead of, you can look at all the different sites and, you know, they're graded on a 65 scale or this, then or the other. Keeping it simple is very, very intriguing to me. Um, but, yeah, sorry to interrupt you. Continue with your – you're going with Verlander and those guys getting hundreds. Oh, sure, yeah. And just to follow up on what you said there, um, it is nice because we're not very good at projecting actual statistics for yes. players. Uh, you know, a great baseball player's home run totals. You look at, like, Albert Pujols over his career, and even when he was in his prime – you know, his, his, there would be a huge fluctuation between, you know, upper 40s home runs or mid-40s home runs down into the low or mid-third. I mean, when you look at the difference there, you can be mm -hmm. talking about 10 or 15 home runs, but it, you wouldn't look at it and go, oh, he had a bad year. It's just normal fluctuation. So it's very difficult mm -hmm. to, to, to be that precise in, in uh, projections. So it's really nice. Mayberry doesn't attempt to do that. It just tells you, look, mm -hmm. these are great power guys. These are great speed guys. These are great batting average. Go after those, and then you know the numbers are going to fall where they will. So I, I agree with you. I really like that way of looking at it. Um, mm -hmm. So just for a little bit more uh, perspective on it, in in twenty the baseballhq.com's twenty twenty projections, there are two batters. There are none who earn one hundred grades who get the perfect one hundred, but there are two who who are at ninety five. Um, and I think we might find those interesting. One is Mookie Betts. So that's not a a huge surprise. The other one is Bo Bichette. Oh, wow. Yeah. Hey, real, real quick, real quick, before you go on with that. Yeah. Um, so a guy like Bichette, who we saw a small sample, we know his, his minor league numbers are great, and you guys do a, a, minor, a ton of minor league work, obviously. 
um, how do you go about evaluating said talent for a small sample like that? Because like with Mookie, we know we've seen him do it year after year. He was an MVP for crying out loud a couple years ago. So we know what Mookie's doing. Bichette, who we all think is going to be very good, we saw on a small scale. How do they go about uh, getting those numbers? Is it they just use a small scale or is there a broader, like they go deep into him? Yeah, so we, we do use the small scale as part of the weight and okay. figuring out those grades, but we also use minor league equivalencies okay. um, and you know, Bill James formulas and then baseball HQs only tweaks on those, but we do go back and use minor league numbers combined with the small sample major league. Gotcha. Well, yeah. So those are the two hitters that, that got the, the top grades for 2020 based on baseball HQ projections. And the top two pitchers, um, and they, these did earn perfect 100 grades, were, of course, Cole and DeGrom. So that's not yeah. a surprise there. So, But what I really find this tool helpful in doing is finding pockets of players who have similar skills and then identifying ones who are lower cost. So it really helps me to be able to highlight, you know, here's four or five players with very similar skills and, and the top two players are going in the first or second round. But here we have a, another three players that are, you know, going in the 20th round or the 30th round, sometimes even the 40th round, you know, looking at when I mean, you're considering, you know, draft and hold NFBC style uh, draft champion league. So I, I really find this tool helpful for that. And so if it's okay with you, I just wanted to go through a few examples mm -hmm. of those. Yeah, definitely. But I think it's I think it's a great way because uh, we'll get to those examples in just a sec. Like when we talk about projections, you know, the steamer is a big thing. I tweet it out all the time. A lot of people use steamer. Uh, you got the bat by Derek Carter. You got ATC by Cohen. Uh, there's a lot of great projection uh, systems. But like you said, I love one thing that you said about the Mayberry system is just because the projection said X number and he didn't hit X number didn't really mean he had a bad season. And no. That, I think I, there's a lot to be said about that. And so using this Mayberry system, and it doesn't have to be the end-all, be-all, obviously. You can mix and match and do whatever you want. But I think it's interesting because it's like you said, it, it says it gets you, okay, I want this level of power, so get these guys, because we know where the floor and the ceiling can be instead of when certain projections say 42 homers, you're writing in 42 homers. So I think there's different ways to approach it. I think it's a very – good way to go about it using this Mayberry is to kind of give you a broader idea of maybe your team as a whole, not just on a, like a, a pure number basis, but on like, I guess a, a feel for your team, a, like, you know, your team's good in this category and so on and so forth. That's how I am interpreting this. I don't know if that's how you use it to your advantage, but uh, I think it's a very good way to do it without getting so stuck on, I need X number of this. I think you're exactly right. That is how I use it to my advantage. And I think that's how any of us who use it is. Mm -hmm. okay. just, there's no point in trying to project perfect numbers because you're not going to get them. Mm -hmm. So why not embrace that and just look at the skills and, and yeah. bring people together that way? Absolutely. Okay, cool. Then, yeah, give me some of these guys because I, I love it. That I, I sit there and that's what I tweet out half the time when I'm bored. I look at projections and, you know, this guy's going to this ADP. This guy's going to another. Look for value. That's how, as you know it, obviously, and guys at HQ, to win these drafts, you need to hit the value. Uh, who are some of these ones you're looking at? Yeah, so the there's the an interesting person in the top grouping of starting pitchers. So the top group of starting pitchers has a gets a five on the zero to five scale for ERA, a five for strikeouts, and then a five for for playing time. So, and then if you you can build group all those together and then just where you can find pockets of value sometimes is if you ease up on the playing time. So if you look for the five in ERA and the five for strikeouts, then go, I'll look for somebody who's a little lesser and projected innings. Uh, sometimes that makes it so that you can find some of those, you know, because it's hard to project playing time. You never really know if somebody's going to pitch 200 innings or 150 or, or less than that. You just really don't know. So Eliminating that a little bit, you can find in this top group of starting pitchers, you have Garrett Cole, Max Scherzer, Chris Sale, and Jacob DeGrom, or the, the top tier who get perfect scores there. Um, and then there's one other player that, that was interesting to me that stood out, and he's not somebody that I have paid a whole lot of attention to. He's a top prospect, but it's Tarek Skubal. Who? You're familiar with <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. Um, in the Tiger system, I, I, and I think he's a little bit overlooked because they've got Matt Manning and Casey Mize as the, their top two pitchers in that system. But 
This is a guy who was nasty at, at high A and at double A in 2019 and has an ADP right now in NFBC draft champions leagues of 562. So in the Mayberry system, he did get a five for ERA and a five for strikeouts. Um, he was, I think he was very low on the playing time uh, estimates, but that's the kind of guy that I like to go, all right, let me see about grabbing him really late in the draft because I know he's got great skills. is isn't going to cost me much, mm-hmm. but there's obvious you know, breakout potential there. Nice. And especially with the Tigers because they have nothing to lose, you might see him for a month and a half at the end of the year. Exactly. Yeah. I like it. I like it. So and then looking at another group here. So if you if, if your sights were set on, say, Jack Flaherty early on, he has an ADP of 25. Um, but if you wanted a pitcher who had very similar skills to him, but, but just didn't have the opportunity to jack to a draft Flaherty, you could wait and grab Carlos Carrasco, who has mm-hmm. the same skills, lesser projected playing time, but same skills at 110, or somebody that you and I talked about and kind of scoffed at last time was Lance Lynn. Um, <laughs> yeah, we, we got that one wrong. <laughs> yes, we did. <laughs> but we weren't the uh, only ones. I, I'll at least say that much. <laughs> I highly doubt anybody was projecting the breakout that came from him. But uh, yep. yeah, he's he has an ADP of 133. But again, these three pitchers all have the same skills. Um, but the, as far as Mayberry goes, each have the same three. They get three for ERA and four for strikeouts. So that's their they're on that same grouping. And there's also a few other notable pitchers that are in that same grouping with them, including Luis Severino, mm-hmm. Aaron Nola, Pat Corbin, and and uh, notably Lance McCullers Jr. Nice. Yeah, and you get McCullers cheap because people, you know, he's coming off the injury. So he, he's one that his stock will rise as he keeps seeing these videos come out. I love the Carrasco call because I've actually talked about this on a few different shows. I'm a huge Carrasco fan, and I know there's you know slight concerns with the you know, health and everything. It did help. We saw him towards the end of last year. I was playing a game. I think it was my last show, and I'll ask you the same question because you said ADP 110, and I think that's just a steal if he's healthy, which I'd assume he is. Um, say you know one or two spring training starts in, and people see okay, the velo's there, he looks good. Where do you really think that ADP finishes up? Oh boy! I mean, it's going to go way up. He's a yeah. he's a very good starting pitcher. He's mm-hmm. he's really ace level skills. So yeah, um, yeah, it's going to rise quite a bit. Yeah, that's why you know people talk about these draft champions, and some people go, "Well, how do you draft so early?" Blah blah blah. It's for things like this <laughs> because yeah. you're not going to get Carrasco at this point in time in in February or March. There's no way you're getting him at 110. But I love how the, the Mayberry shows that to you. So if you are taking advantage of these early drafts, you're going to get a steal. Like if you decide, okay, I'm going to do what the what nowadays is the opposite and wait for pitching, you can get a potential ace at pick 110, which is craziness. Yeah, absolutely. And that's the advantage of drafting earlier is there's so many mm-hmm. market inefficiencies that you can take advantage of. Um, that's the good part. The bad part is that all the other, all the sharks <laughs> know that as yep. well. So I know a lot of times when I end up drafting early, I end up in, in a league with an FBC Hall of Famer. Uh, oh, dang. <laughs> yep. Yep. Makes it a little rough. Yeah, no, it no. anything's possible. Yep. You, you, we, we've played fantasy baseball enough. It's an injury here or there. It's a, you got this fab guy a week early. There's all these just minor little things that just happen to work your direction that season that goes a long ways in, in getting that W. Because like you said, is there's so many resources out there. There's so many smart people that, you know, some years, if you have a bad year, it's not because you're a bad player. It's just, it just didn't go your way. There's none, nothing you're going to do about that. But if you yeah. can prep for it, you're going to be good to go. Agreed. Um, any other Mayberry method uh, guys comparisons you had? You had yeah, before? yeah. Got a few more. Cool. Um, so Keep them coming. This is fun. This is fun. a couple Keep more pictures. Uh, so Walker Bueller, obviously a very highly sought after starting pitcher, ADP of 18. So you're looking, you have to take him in the first or second round. Um, but if you're looking for pitchers with similar skills that you can get a little bit later, Shane Bieber mm-hmm. and Luis Castillo are both ones that go quite a bit later. I think Bieber goes, well, Bieber goes like a round later and Castillo has an ADP of 51. Mm-hmm. And then there's also Brandon Woodruff, who's got an ADP of 91, but the same Mayberry skills as Walker Bueller. You can also look a little later if you're willing to sacrifice some projected innings at Clayton Kershaw, uh, Charlie Morton, and Tyler Glass now. Uh, also same skills, but, but less innings. No, I like that. Glass now is a very popular name of late. And then Castillo, like I, I still kind of 
I'm confused because for me, Castillo should be with Bieber and those guys. I know Bueller's way up there. He, a lot of people, I think I saw him in that first uh, Rotowire go at the end of round one, possibly, as like the fourth starting pitcher, which people love their Bueller. They love him a lot. I don't, but that's where I'd be like, okay, I'll wait for someone else. That's just gonna how that's going to go. But uh, that's, a, that's some interesting comparisons there. Another, you know, quite the drop-off if you're going from pick 15 to pick, you know, going all the way down there to Woodruff and company. So that's good. Yes, and I agree with you on Castillo. I'm I'm not quite sure why he doesn't get the uh, the same you know privilege that, uh, yeah. that Bueller does, but uh, there's just not as much hype, and it's great for those of us who see the can see that and can uh, capitalize. So I agree. Yeah, it took it just took me one time. I know my Giants are a bad baseball team, but I watched the game where he faced them in San Francisco, and if he didn't walk like eight guys, he would have struck out like 24. It was ridiculous. <laughs> When he was throwing strikes and that changeup was dropping off the table, they didn't touch him. It was disgusting. So yeah. he's, he's very good. But control's an issue. That's the, the way it works. It is. And for those who are listening and subscribe to Baseball HQ, he will be – I'm highlighting him in my next Facts and Flukes piece that uh, will be – I think it's published on the site next Monday. Looking forward to that. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I've got a few more switching over to hitters if that's okay. Yep. Bring them on. I love it. This is great. So if you had your hearts – Set on getting that first pick and, and snagging Acuna. You know, that's he's typically, I think he's the first one going, uh, or at least one of the first three. But say you ended up towards the end of the first round and your your hopes were dashed and you said, oh, I just can't get him. Well, cheer up. Fernando Tatis has the same four power, five speed, three batting average Mayberry score. And you can take him later in the first round or even early in the second round. Yep. Um, that's a the, the, the Tatis one's very interesting because. It seems like there's a world of people that just absolutely love him and want him. And there's another group that's like, well, he's got a bad back. He's young, all these things. I think there's there's a lot to like with Tatis. So that's a good comparison with, with the community because, yeah, he's he went number one. I keep referencing that thing. I took the snapshot that the NFBC tweeted out of the first six rounds. Acuna went one. Went Acuna, Trout, Yellick. So uh, that you're going to see those, those three up there all the time. And if you can wait, uh, who would you have? Let's just have a little fun. Acuna, Trout, <laughs> Yellick. How do you do it? I would probably still go with Trout. I, I love that consistency of what he does every year. Even though the, the at-bats aren't necessarily consistent, he does have some injury issues. But it seems like everybody does. I mean, mm-hmm. Acuna's had small ones here or there. Yelich had the kneecap last year. He's been generally healthy, and that seems like a fluke. But you don't know now if that's going to affect his aggressiveness or even his his raw speed on the base paths. Or, you know, late, you get a lot of power from your legs. and It will affect that. I, you don't know. So that adds just a little bit of risk there. So I think I'd probably go with Trout. It seems like the safest bet for me. What I always tell people is for me with these three, there's no wrong answer. Like yeah. you can make, you can make a very compelling story for any of the three in any order. Like you really, really can. So get your guy. And I agree the injuries. I, I worry for certain guys, especially more so pitchers, which obviously makes more sense when it's an arm injury, but some of these injuries these guys have, and I, I said it with, with a little bit ago, to win a league, you have to avoid injuries. You have to avoid all these things. If Mike Trout gets injured, if you take, take him one, two, or three, you're not winning. So it doesn't really matter. <laughs> if, if you want Trout, go get him. It's that simple if you're going to use the injury thing on him. So I, I have Acuna for now, but I keep wavering. Like Part of me just wants the three pick. Just give me the three pick and give me mm-hmm. whoever falls to me, and then I'll take the next pick coming back before the other two get him. So yeah, that's where I'm at right now. Um, who are some other bats you have on the Mayberry method? Yeah, so this one's kind of interesting. Uh, Juan Soto, Anthony Rendon, and George Springer all have the same four power, three speed, five batting average Mayberry score. Um, and all are gone before the end of the third round. But you've got Mike Talkman, who has the same Mayberry score. <laughs> is not projected to be a full-time player, from what I understand. But yeah. he has that, those raw, that raw ability and has a much, much later uh, draft. I'm going to have to cut that clip out for Alex Chamberlain. He's going to absolutely love that one right there. You just, you just made his uh, – that's a late Christmas present for Alex Chamberlain. Uh, I thought about because, mentioning him. <laughs> yeah, because um, yeah, Mike, Mike Talkman, it's like when we saw him play consistently last year, he was darn good, like really, yeah. really good. But that Yankees outfield so compacted. And, again, I, I don't want to you know clamor on injury prone, but we see those guys get banged up a lot out there on the Yankees outfield. Uh, hopefully – Talkman gets to say, let's say it's 120 games. That could be interesting value depending on your league format. That could be very interesting. So I agree. I like that. That's, that's, that's a good comparison. It's really interesting. 
Yeah, yeah, that's a good one. So the, the next one on my list was Starling Marte and Tommy Eadman. Oh, uh, wow. Yeah, so both have matching Mayberry Method overall scores of 85 with skills and playing time projection, projections that match. But Marte's ADP is 33, while Eadman's mm -hmm. is 131. Wow. Yeah, because uh, Tommy's getting talked about a bit these days, but I would never would have guessed in comparison to a Starling Marte. That's a that's a very very interesting one because Tommy's gonna be likely leading off for the Cardinals and we saw some good things towards the end there. I think that's an interesting one. It, it also shows the depth of the middle infield position. Um, that that's a beautiful thing. So you got him. You got guys like Kevin Newman that people like. I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna. I'm writing that down now to go see what Kevin Newman's Mayberry looks like afterwards because I'll open up my handy dandy notebook as well and yeah. go check that one out. But that's a name I've seen compared as well. But Marte who Wow, that's like almost 100. That's like 80 picks. That's impressive. Yeah, absolutely. That's the beauty of the Mayberry method is finding those yep. little pockets like that. Um, <clears throat> next one is Freddie Freeman and Nolan Arenado are both mm. overall 80 Mayberry method scores and are both top 20 picks. But if you're looking for someone with very similar skills later on, you've got Nick Castellanos, who has the same 80 Mayberry method score, matching skills and, and playing time production, but his ADP is 115. That's a good one. Nick Castellanos is a guy that seems year in and year out never gets the proper respect, like never gets it. Uh, a lot of it was because he played for the Tigers. I get it. But uh, we saw him with Chicago and still the landing spots up for grabs. But you'd imagine his agents pretty much telling him, go somewhere you can be productive. That'd be smart. But um, yeah, that's a good one because Castellanos is very, very good. Just doesn't get the love. And he's a guy I, I, I'm curious to see that where he signs and how his ADP changes, because I just don't. I don't know how many, how people, that many people, I guess, as I say it properly this time, how that many people can sleep on Nick Castellanos. He's almost like the Luis Castillo of hitters. Yeah, I agree. He's always had a great hit tool. It goes back to his time in the minors. He's just mm -hmm. always had a very natural ability to hit. I remember watching him at the uh, Arizona Fall League a number of years ago and, and was impressed with him there and, and, uh, and, what he's done in the majors. It just always seems like he's on the cusp of breaking out, but just mm -hmm. hasn't quite ever done it. But I think he's a kind of, he's the guy, he's a guy that has that type of upside that could be, could put, put up at a, you know, close to 300 batting average with, you know, 35 to 40 home runs and just really make a big difference um, it, with that lower ADP. And he's still rather young for what people might expect from him. So yeah. there, there's still, there's still a lot in that tank there that maybe even more improvement in that tank. Agreed. So that could be a fun one. Yeah. So in the uh, next grouping here of, of guys who have three power, three speed, and five batting average, uh, there's studs like Alex Bregman, Francisco Lindor, and Jose Ramirez. But then there's people down the list a little bit like Corey Seager, uh, mm -hmm. Ryan Braun, and even Corey Dickerson, who all have very similar profiles. But those latter three have uh, respective ADPs of 153, 240, and 339. That's outstanding. Ryan Braun is a guy that I target almost every year because I always feel he's not getting drafted where he should be going. Um, he's not pretty anymore. He's not the MVP Braun, but he's if you look at his year by year results in a road like a roto league, he gives you amazing value. It seems every year for what you get from him. And then Corey Dickerson, yes, it's it's Miami, but playing every day, I'm not worried about that. As long as you got that everyday role, he's a sneaky good hitter. I've I've looked at other projection models and. And different things with, with Corey Dickerson. Heck, look at his stat cast page. He is sneaky good, and he does not get the love he, he deserves. So I like that 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 grouping there. It's, that's a really strong one because those early guys everyone loves, Lindor, Ramirez, Bregman, and then these, these, these massive values that no one really stays too focused on. Absolutely. So I got two more groupings here, um, second to last. If you're looking for alternatives to Bryce Harper, you have to take in the <laughs> second round. <laughs> You've got. Austin Meadows and Keston Hura in the third round with similar Beautiful. skills. Carlos Correa in the sixth round or David Dahl in the tenth round. Oh, David Dahl. Oh, David Dahl. He's like my kryptonite. He gets me every year. <laughs> uh, there was one last one that I, I think is also worth noting. It's Jake Cave, uh, yes. a very deep league name. He has the same skills. He obviously isn't projected for full-time at-bats, but his ADP right now registers in at 700-plus which means you can basically take him in the last, you know, two or three rounds of a uh, draft champions, you know, 50 round draft. I think that makes him a great speculative pick there at the very end when you 
you're talking about a guy that has similar skills to to the aforementioned. That made me so happy. I'm gonna have to go back to my tweet from early December about J.K. and, and his overall hit, hit hit skills and how good he is, and then just how no one plays him or drafts him because he's not playing enough. And I it was when the Twins were like debating trading Eddie Rosario or doing this or that. And I said, they need to do whatever it takes, either trade Cave or whoever, so we can play every day because he's too good. He's too good to be sitting on their bench. We saw in stretches last year when he played regularly, I think he had like two two home run games, a three home run game. The, the hit tool is ridiculous. And the fact that the Mayberry method says he's equal to Bryce Harper just made my day. That is outstanding. <laughs> he's, he's, I'm not going to say he's my Mike Talkman, but he's pretty close. Like, I really, really like Jay Cave, and I just want the playing time to show up because I think he's very, very good. It would be interesting to see what he did with a full set of at-bats, wouldn't it? Yep, definitely. So Who's last, last grouping group? here. Yeah, if you're looking for speedy mid, mid, uh, middle infield options with good batting average skills and a bit of power, you've got Trey Turner as the, as the top of the line, right, at 1080p. But two other players with uh, very similar skills, lower ADPs, are Whit Merrifield at, at 52 ADP and Tim Anderson at 92. Wow, Tim Anderson all the way down there. That's a that's an interesting comparison. Are you a believer in Tim Anderson? Because I've drafted him the last two years, but there's a lot of people that feel it's just, you know, he's getting lucky type thing. Yeah, I do feel that he's probably a bit fortunate. Um, it always seems that way, though. Tim Anderson just always seems to be fortunate. Mm-hmm. Uh, the skills don't quite seem to match, don't seem to support the production. But I mean, there, there's no doubting that he has great speed. He's got a little bit of pop, and he tends to get really high BABIPs, which lead to decent batting averages, even though he strikes out and doesn't walk much. Um, he's cut down the strikeouts a little bit, I think. So, I mean, he's not a guy that I target, but, you know, it, it, in the right draft plan, you know, you, you need that sort of a little bit of power and some speed from, from a middle infielder. I think, you know, you, you could look at him and go, well, you know, it's a, it's a nice alternative to Trey Turner. No, no doubt about that. Uh, there's some breaking news, actually, as we're recording. Not a massive signing, but uh, Louis Robert, or Robert, I, I've heard it pronounced every way. I don't know what's correct. I apologize. Uh, the White Sox have extended him to a six-year, $50 million deal, which usually means we will see him to start the season. Um, people were drafting him, assuming a lot of playing time. He's going around pick 108 in these uh, DCs. I, I always get nervous with rookies, but everything he did in the minors last year was amazing. I don't want to like put you on the spot because you didn't pull up the, the work on this out of the book, but just you know, just quick thought on this: What does him having this deal and guaranteed pretty much start the year do for you come draft time? Yeah, so that, I love it. I'm, I'm very excited about that. I love prospects and I, and I follow them closely, and I love that we're not going to have to worry about uh, any manipulation of his time clock or anything like that for uh, for financial purposes. Very exciting news. Uh, as far as me drafting him goes, though, and that knowing what his ADP is, uh, no, I, I'm, I'm with you. I, I shy away from that. I love to speculate on rookies and people who, you know, aren't, haven't proven themselves but have strong skills, but I like to do that way later in the draft. I don't typically like to do that early exactly. on. Yeah, and that's the thing. We've seen it in, in recent years. You've had the the Vlad Guerreros, was how that turned out. You had the Acunas, which was okay, but he came up so much later than he wanted. Uh, Eloy Jimenez, it works and it doesn't work. It's a really fine line, and I'd rather you know gamble somewhere else at that point in time. So, hundred percent with you there. Let's talk about some player expectations for twenty twenty. Again, this can vary all across the board, but there's some fun ones out there. Kyle Schwarber is a guy that really. I don't think people realize how good he actually was last year because it came in waves, but his, I guess, approach to the plate, his hit tools just kept improving. It seemed like uh, as the season went on and, and from previous seasons, he's going about pick eight, uh, ADP around one, two in the NFBC right now. And this is a guy that basically at that price, I think is great. The power is great. Uh, you look at the projection models, they have him going well over 35 homers. What's your thoughts on Schwarber for 2020? What do you expect? So I think, Schwarber may be due for another step up in production in 2020. I think 2019 was probably his best season to date. And I've, I've said this a few times, uh, and I think, you know, mainly on Twitter probably, but I think that, that his the ceiling here is J.D. Martinez. I really think that there's that's that. That's a great of, ceiling. Yeah, I think that that's the kind of talent he is. It's easy to forget that he was the fourth overall pick in the, in the 2014 mm-hmm. draft, and he was a 
your Nanum's top 20 prospects uh, not that long ago. He's still youngish, right? 27, I believe. Um, yep. And what you mentioned earlier, he he improved a lot of his skills in 2019. He increased his exit velocity, his fly ball exit velocity, while sim simultaneously improving his bat-to-ball skills. That's something I really like to see. When somebody can hit the ball harder and make more frequent contact all at the same time, it, it doesn't usually work that way, right? Usually you have to swing a little harder and swing and miss a little more to make harder contact. Well, he was able to do both at the same time. And to me, that just augurs really well for, uh, you know, when you think about the talent that he has and then him doing that all at the same time. And that's, I, I really think that there could be a big season coming in 2020 or maybe 2021. Yeah, he's definitely worth it. And it seemed like last year when he was leading off more, he really was productive. They moved him around a few different times. And we'll have to see what happens. Do they trade Chris Bryant? How do they approach things? But you'll still have Rizzo. You'll still have Baez and company there. I think he can definitely take that next step. And maybe that's why they're willing to trade Bryant because, A, they can't afford all these guys eventually. But, B, they believe also Schwarber can be that next guy that can maybe slide into the middle of the order and, and help keep that offense turning. So that's very solid there. Let's talk about a former Washington National. As we know, you're the Nats guy. Anthony Rendon, he uh, he did everything he could have asked for last year to help you get that ring. And there, there, there can't be a ton, too much ill will there. He's going to pick 20 in the NFBCs right now. And we know how good he can be. He was an MVP candidate last year. Do we expect that? Do we expect a big drop-off? What do you expect from Rendon? Because uh, I'll, we'll talk about where he's going and who he's going around and drafts after this, but it he had it seemed like a year where he was perfect everywhere. Yeah, and it really was. And as a Nationals fan, I love the guy. I mean, I just anybody who's as talented and as good as him, yet so differential towards his teammate, you know, just doesn't won't talk about himself, doesn't self-aggrandize, isn't looking for recognition. Um, I, you just have to love that guy. I can't imagine when he comes back to play. Uh, against the Nationals at home, that there will be any booing like there was against Bryce Harper. I didn't understand the Harper booing personally either. I didn't. I'm not one to do that. I, I enjoyed Bryce's time here, and and I think he would have resigned had the Nats been willing to pony up, but they weren't. Yep. It's fine. Yeah. He did what was best for him, and we did what was best for, the, for our team. But it, it's a business in the end, unfortunately. Exactly. So um, as far as Rendon's 2020 outlook, I think. <laughs> as odd as this may sound, like you said, he did pretty much everything that he, everything looked like a pretty much perfect season, but I actually think he was a little bit unfortunate in the home run department in 2019. Um, and I think he could hit a few more in 2020. So he, let me tell you why he led all qualified bats in hard hit fly ball percentage. Now these, this is to me, this is the most important type of, of fly ball. When, right. When you're looking at power, we usually just look at overall fly ball percentage, but the, you know, when they're classified, they're usually either hard, medium, or soft. Well, there's only one of those that's leaving the ballpark, right? Yes, One's exactly. Yeah. So look at, you know, I like to really zone in on hard hit fly ball rate rather than just overall fly ball rate. And uh, he led all qualified bats, again, in hard hit fly ball rate in, in 2019. But his home run rate on hard hit fly ball, so rather than home run per fly, we've got home run per hard hit fly, was 31%, which was well below the league average of 38%. Um, and I, I usually look to fly ball exit velocity to explain that. His fly ball exit velocity was about a mile and a half higher than the league average. So when I look at his home run totals, I go, I think, you know what, his home run rate on hard hit fly balls should have been higher. He's hitting tons of, of hard hit fly balls, and he's hitting them his hard hit fly balls at a velocity significantly greater than the league average. I mean, to me, that screams he left some home runs on the table. And, nice. I, you know. There's still there's a lot of components there, you know, staying healthy and a new ballpark and a new team and new lineup spot maybe. I mean, who knows how all that'll work out? But all things being equal, I think that I don't know that Anthony Rendon is completely topped out yet. That's awesome, man. Just for the listeners at home, um, the fly, hard hit fly ball, the the exit velocities, you're getting all that from Statcast, correct? Uh, mostly. Yeah, mostly. Uh, hard hit fly balls, I use, uh, it used to be, what's it called now? Baseball Info Solutions, uh, yeah. Sports Info Solutions. Yeah. Gotcha. Uh, just in case anybody wants to deep dive, I want to point them in the right direction because I think that's where it, the next step's going because we all love baseball savant and it's fun to look at these things. But, uh, you know, there, there's a handful of players and one I really want to dig into because I love Victor Robles and I'll just get your opinion on him now. 
because you're a Nats guy. I really love him, but if you look at his like Statcast page, there's a lot of question marks there that make you wonder what's going on. And I just believe he might be one of those guys that that goes above and beyond that type deal. I don't know, but do you believe that that uh, he might just be one of those guys where the Statcast doesn't match up to the what he is? Yeah, I mean, he he probably is a little bit fortunate on on his home run total last year, perhaps. But what what he is is a you know he's been a highly touted prospect for years, so you know he's supremely talented. He's got blazing speed and a knack for hitting the baseball. So when when things go a little bit better than the underlying numbers show, it's like you said, it's not really a surprise with a guy like Victor Robles. So I think he's still maturing as a ball player. He's very young, right? He's still in his early twenties and. And yeah, I agree with you. I think that he's one of those guys that you, you know, if you can get him at a decent price, you buy anyway. You just buy him because of the talent. You don't have to have. I don't need the the backing of Statcast for for everything that he's doing right now. See, a lot of his value just comes from the fact that he has blazing fast speed. So he's going to mm-hmm. beat out a lot of infield singles. He's going to steal bags, and a lot of his value is derived from that right now. And that's my thing is when I'm drafting Robles, I'm not counting on having a ton of home runs. Like if he throws in 15 homers, I am ecstatic. Like give me all that. I want the steals. I'm hoping one day the Nats move him towards the top of the order. But uh, until Eaton's out of the way, that probably won't happen. All those type of things. But that that's – I really love the talent. I, I, I tell people – I think I might have told you on when we recorded last time. I've used this line many times that if, if Victor Robles wasn't hurt, we might not know who Juan Soto is. So just remember <laughs> that because that was Victor Robles' job until he got hurt and they brought Soto up, who's very, very good. Like I had Soto in Dynasty Leagues. I just – we wouldn't have seen him that early is what I'm trying to tell people. So just re- remember that one. Um, speaking of Rendon, so in FBCs right now, he's the 20th guy off the board. Going at 19 is Jose Ramirez. Going at 21 is Rafael Devers. So third base, all right there. How do you look at those three guys? For me, it's Ramirez, Rendon, and then Devers. Okay. That's the, so order, the order they're going in. Uh, Tatis Jr. goes right before them. Do you still have Tatis ahead of those three, or would you rather have those third basemen ahead of Tatis? I'd probably take Jose Ramirez ahead of Tatis, but the speed component would make it tough to not take Tatis above uh, Rendon and Endeavors. All right. Well, speaking of Jose Ramirez, he was next on the list here. He had a great second half. The first half, it scratched many people's heads. They really didn't know what was going on. You know, like the Homer Simpson gif was perfect. Just go back into the bush because we can't figure it out. But the second half, he was there. He still finished with 23 homers, 24 steals. Hit 255 with, if you consider where he was in the first half, that is a great batting average. And he's still 27. He's super young still. Switch hitting. You already said you liked him more than Rendon and maybe even more than Tatis. What is it that you see? Do you believe he's going back to that MVP type guy? So what I see is that, and I wrote, I actually wrote Jose Ramirez up early last year. I think it was maybe May or June uh, for in a Facts and Flukes article for Baseball HQ. And what my my ending counsel to everybody was exercise excruciating patience with this guy because the skills were all still there even during his terrible slump he was still largely the same guy that he was the season before that and and you know 2017 and 2018 was two really good years previously so and I, and I still see the same thing, right? This is a guy who knows the strike zone. He doesn't chase pitches out of the zone. He hits hard hit fly balls in a, at an above average rate. He has 72nd percentile sprint speed and an excellent stolen base success rate. There's still, the upside is still there for a 330-30 type season. And I mean, I think he could very easily end up being a first round pick because it's, it's all still there. <laughs> he's probably not a 40 home run guy, but he's easily a 25 to 30 home run guy. Yeah, I like that. Some the, When we did the two early box with, with Mason and company, it was a 15-teamers, and I, I seem to have the back end. I, like, picked 13, I think, in that, and 13 in another one. And I, somehow I got Trey Turner and then Ramirez back-to-back. I was very happy with that start. Pretty sure I won't get that. I'm pretty sure I'll never get that, but I'm like, you give me all the steals, some power, average. I was, I was over the moon with that. But uh, I love it. Yeah. Yeah, if, if that could happen come draft day, I'll be ecstatic. Um, let's talk about another youngster. We mentioned Bo Bichette earlier. Let's talk about his teammate, Kevin Biggio, who he's, there's a lot to like there. His OBP is insane. He walks a ton uh, for a young kid, strikes out quite a bit as well, but he's got power. He's got speed. The average just doesn't click. What are you seeing on Gavin Biggio going into 2020 that, uh, you know, he's going ADP about 136 right now. 
Yeah, so that's the the unfortunate thing is he's getting a lot of hype right now. So I think that uh, it, it probably he's getting he's getting a little expensive for for what he's proven. But I mean, if you're looking at him in a in a dynasty league or something like that, I think that there's a lot to like in, in his skill set. I mean, he obviously has. I mean, I'm not a scout, but 80 grade, I would say ball strike recognition, right? This guy just does mm-hmm. not swing at pitches outside of the strike zone at all. Um, and I think that's probably his strongest carrying tool is just that he knows how to recognize a ball from a strike. And um, he, his, as you mentioned, he strikes out a lot. It's not because he lacks bat to ball skills. It's just he works counts deep frequently and ends up, you know, at two, with two strikes. And when you get to two strikes, the pitchers are giving you their best stuff. You know, they're throwing their breaking yep. stuff and their great change-ups. And, and I think that's where he probably strikes out a lot. So I wonder if <clears throat> with Biggio, if he needs to take a, a similar approach to uh, what Trevor Story did a few years ago and just be more aggressive early in the counts. You know, when you see something you like, even if it's on the first pitch, just <laughs> – swing you know he has a talented enough bat that he can he can do damage he's got power and you know he has a great launch angle hits the ball in the air uh, i think that if he did that he could have a similar you know trevor story like explosion uh, there's sprint you know he's 81st percentile sprint speed so he, he he runs and steals bases very efficiently this is a guy that that could be i think he could be a you know if he takes that sort of approach i think he could be a 270 370 type of uh, 25, 25 guy. There's a lot of upside there. Yeah, there's a ton of upside. I, like I love the approach he has, the overall skill set. And, and there's something that you said that was very, very compelling is when he puts them because he works the count so much. Well, yeah, now when you have two strikes, you get the best pitches, and you put yourself at such little room for error now. Like you, you're protecting. He might. He doesn't chase a lot, like you said, but maybe. He does have to open it up with two strikes a little more. It, it changes your whole approach. It makes me wonder, does he do they work with him on maybe, okay, if you want to see one strike, that's fine. But let's get a little more aggressive coming after one because we've seen that, especially in Toronto. I know it was a different coaching staff, but we remember Jose Bautista went there and just changed everything. Like, hey, let's just grip it and rip it at the first close good pitch you see. So I'm not saying I want him to get that, you know, out of control. But uh, I think maybe even Joey Votto we saw do it last year. He got a little more aggressive in the zone. And it might be something to to do that with Biggio and see how that plays out. Um, let's talk about a guy. When you were talking about Biggio's power-speed combo, it, this guy sums that up as well. He's going about pick 257 right now. We're talking Will Myers. And this is a guy that year after year people like because he's value. People like he's only 29. I love when he plays first base, not when he plays the outfield, but they signed Eric Cosmer for some reason. But he's a decent OBP guy. He struggles with, that, with average, but I said power speed. He's going super cheap. Are you buying into Will Myers this year? So I'm, I guess maybe I'm a sucker for Will Myers. Uh, and I, I'm always tempted by that uh, power speed combo that he provides, especially when he qualified at first base. You know, like you said, unfortunately, mm-hmm. he's not there anymore. But, uh, yeah, I, I still – I still kind of like what I see there. He's, you know, his strikeout rate went way up in 2019. And <clears throat> I think that's a red flag for a lot of people. But when I, when you look at the underlying metrics, he, it's not because he was chasing pitches out of the zone. His, his O swing percentage was still right in line with where it's been through most of his career. Uh, I think what we saw when you when you look at that is that he was swinging and missing more at pitches in the zone, and I'm I'm wondering if this is one of those cases where he realized that there was a, a you know a, a bouncy baseball and wanted to take advantage of that power and was just really letting it rip, but for him it didn't work out so well. I, I don't know for sure, but that's kind of what it looks like to me. Um, I think Will Myers, though, if he, you know, you look at his year over year, you look at his line for multiple seasons and his strikeout rate was a lot lower than it was last year. So if you look at it in like a five year span, it's last year looks like the outlier. 2019's very high strikeout rate looks like the outlier. And I, so I think there's going to be some positive regression there with his, with the strikeout rate, which will give him a little bit of, of batting average. It really comes down to if he, Last year, he ended up sitting a lot. San Diego was deep in the outfield, and he didn't 
you know, he, he played a lot of games, but had a very low at bat total because he ended up getting in as a pinch hitter or, or something along those lines and didn't end up starting as much as, as we're used to from Will Meyer. So it really just depends if he plays full time. I still think this is a guy who could be 260 and, and go 25, 20 in, in 20, 2020. He's still he's 29 years old. He's a former top prospect. All of that ability is still there. Yeah, and at that point in the draft, it, it's hard to uh, not like a 2020 upside guy. You don't find that every day at that point in the draft. So lots to like there. Let's talk catchers. I know, don't turn off the podcast, people. But talk, we're talking catchers for like one guy. And <laughs> it's, a, it's, it's a catcher I really, really like. And I'm glad we're talking about him. I wrote up the catchers for the Fantasy Black Book. I've already done my rankings. Carson Kelly is a guy that I have circled quite a bit this year. Maybe I'm overdoing it with him. He had a phenomenal season last year. We, we just mentioned Will Myers as a former top prospect. Well, Carson Kelly was a high-end catching prospect for the Cardinals. He's part of the deal uh, with the D-backs and the Cardinals that I think is, is a very, very good one for for Goldschmidt. People laughed at it, and Kelly came in with 18 homers last year, hit 245. A 348 OBP as a catcher is pretty rare. I'm just going to say that out there. That's that's, that's Gosmani Grandal territory. Uh, so what's your thoughts on Carson Kelly? Am I overexcited on him? He's going to pick 212. And he's like the ninth, tenth catcher off the board these days. I don't think so. I, I don't think you are overexcited. I, I see a lot to like in Carson Kelly, and I think I would rank him higher than than where his ADP is personally among catchers. <clears throat> um, depending on where you need to take a catcher, that's that's a whole other story. Two catcher leagues, one catcher. You know, that's uh, personal preference. A lot of that too, but. Um, I see what you see there. This is a guy who has a great batting eye, uh, a lot like Kevin Biggio. He does not swing at pitches out of the zone. Um, he hits a ton of hard hit fly balls, and there's just a, there's a lot to like. He, he has a great he walks a lot. There's a great walk to strikeout ratio, and uh, doesn't strike out excessively. This is a guy that has you know 20, 270, 25 home run upside in my opinion. Yeah, big big fan of his. Another guy that I was huge on last year and. You know, the first couple of weeks made me look like a gigantic fool. But then he went back to AAA, and he came back to the pros. And uh, Lourdes Gurriel Jr. had a monster season once he got his stuff together. A really, really big season. And right now he's going about pick 160 overall. I liked him a lot last year because he was a lot cheaper. 160, I don't hate. I think the hit tool is very, very good. What's your outlook on uh, Lourdes going in? Another Blue Jay, young Blue Jay we're talking about. We're probably going to talk about a lot of young Blue Jays for the next few years. Yeah, I agree with you. Lourdes Gurriel is a, a guy that, you know, he comes from a long line of, of a baseball family, right? This is somebody whose older brother, Yuli, plays for the Astros, and his uh, father was a great player in, in Cuba. And so he's another one of these multi-generational uh, ball players in the Toronto system, even though he may not be recognized as much as some of the other names. But uh, I think that. I think there's just a ton of talent, but a very aggressive approach that he, you know, he, he's, and I think that's okay given his, his, his skills. I think that he can handle that. What we don't have is a large enough sample really to buy into that, to what we saw after he came back up last year. Right. So he, like you said, the first couple of weeks, he stunk so bad that he was demoted to the minors. Um, he switched positions in the minors, played, for like six weeks, if I remember correctly, at AAA left field, returned to the same position in the majors, and then just went gangbusters after that until he finally got hurt again towards the end of the season. But um, it, from what I'm seeing from this guy, there's a lot of power there. There's a little bit of speed. He's got a great hit tool. I don't think he's going to be a batting average drain. He may not be a 300 hitter because of his aggressive approach and, and, the, a lot of, and he strikes out a lot, but he hits the ball hard. He hits the ball in the air, and he can. And he's very athletic, and, and comes from a family that that just hits the baseball. So I think there's a lot to like with uh, Lourdes Gurriel Jr. Yeah, there's a lot to like, and like you said, is it's a very aggressive approach at the plate. So one thing is when you draft him, you got to realize there's probably going to be a lot of peaks and valleys with him throughout the season. There's going to be some slumps where he's striking out a lot, and there's going to be some runs where he's hitting five home runs a week because he's just running into everything. So just have that in mind when you're getting him. He's not going to be Mr. Consistent, maybe not a head-to-head type guy, but uh, Roto-wise, the numbers should be there come season's end. So yeah. I like that quite a bit. 
Uh, another guy to talk about here, Alex Bregman. People know Alex Bregman. They, how do you not know Alex Bregman? But he's a kind of unique, or not a unique, but an interesting case. You know, he's gone from 19 to 31 to 41 home runs. Always been a solid average guy. His OBP's increased each of the last three seasons in the bigs. His walk rate went from 8.8 to 13.6 to 17.2 last year. He just keeps getting better and better, it seems like. He's the seventh overall pick in most drafts right now. You know, you, you, you like the guy, but what kind of expectations do you have for the guy? Because we know he's going to be good, but how good? Yeah, so what you can bank on is that he's going to hit – he's going to be a batting average asset, an anchor for your team because he, he knows the strike zone. He makes contact. I mean, see, he chokes up on his bat a little bit. and I, I, You just have to love his approach to hitting in general. The question comes in <clears throat> with, with the bat with the power. So, like you said, he had 41 home runs last year. But StatCast doesn't really agree with that sort of power. And most, you know, expected home runs or deserved home run metrics show him hitting significantly less. That so he probably got, they're showing that he got a little bit lucky on those. And maybe I've got, I've heard people say that he's probably more of a 25 home run guy or, you know, a sub 30. But what I see in Bregman is that he hits tons of hard hit fly balls. Again, this is the, the metric that I love for power hitters. Who's hitting the ball in the air? And hitting it hard. Those are the kind of guys you want to go after. He does that. And what he knows how to do, and he, he pulls a lot, right? So he knows he doesn't have opposite field, tons of opposite field home run power. And he and he's a very smart baseball player. So he takes the balls, he takes the pitches that are inside, and, and he pulls them down the line, hits home runs. And I think that given the given his baseball IQ and the just the quantity of hard hit fly balls that he that he puts in, in play. I think he's good. He's a definitely a 30 plus home run guy. Uh, he may not be 40 again, but there's plenty of power there and a great batting average and a handful of steals. And if you're in an OBP league, he's gold. Yeah. And that's one thing I love about him is people are saying, though, the power is this, the power that he's still a 30 plus home run guy. Like you just accept that. That's still very, very good. I don't care how bouncy the ball is 30 plus home runs. I'll take that all day. The average, you don't find that kind of security. Like he said, he's, he does everything for you, so he's still very, very good. Just uh, don't think he's going to completely fall off the, the map like some people seem like they want to say with uh, Alex Bregman. But let's talk about a Washington Nats. We've got a couple more guys to talk about here. Carter Keeboom. This is one of those where he came up a little earlier than maybe he should have last year. Didn't quite you know, show the prospect pedigree we hoped for. We know he's very, very good. This could be a year where we see a lot more Carter Keeboom. You've got, you, know, you listen to much more Nats talk and read more Nats things than I do. He's going about pick 289 right now, and the, the skills are there. What do you expect from Keyboom in 2020? So I recently I, I took a look at, and I was kind of thinking about the Nats letting Rendon go. And I, knowing Keyboom was coming up through the system, I really always figured that's what they were going to do. Just made a lot of sense and that you have this highly touted, very talented young hitter that's coming up. Rendon's going to be – are you going to sign him to a long-term deal at age 29? It just doesn't seem like that's Mike Rizzo's uh, MO. So I, I was kind of comparing Keyboom's small sample MLB debut to Rendon's and kind of looking for similarities in the underlying numbers. And, of course, when you're looking for that, you find them. But <laughs> but I, I, just wanted to point out, <laughs> I just wanted to point out a few of them that I thought were noteworthy. So exit velocity. Rendon's in 2019 was 90 point four key booms 90.3 fly ball exit velocity rendon 93.5 key boom 95.3 um, hard hit rate rendon 44.7 key boom 43.5 and then finally when you're looking at at uh plate discipline their o swing percentage so the, the percentage of the pitches outside the strike zone that they chased rendon 23.8 percent key boom 24.2 percent and both of them had hard hit fly ball rates that are 30% better than league average. And so I, I look at that and I go, you know what? It was a small sample. Keyboom looked terrible um, by when you look at the regular statistics. But for, as me, I watched all the games that he played in very eagerly. And what I saw was a guy at the plate anyway who, who was swinging and trying to do a lot. He was, he was hitting the ball hard and he was hitting the ball in the air. And those were two things I really liked to see. There was a number of warning track balls that – just didn't quite clear the fence, you know, that were that were really close, that maybe he just barely missed, or maybe the, the wind was blowing the wrong way at that moment. <laughs> but, you know, a few of those go differently, 
And we're looking at Kiboom's debut a lot differently as well. So, I mean, I see in Kiboom immediate 270, 25 home run potential in 2020. And I think for those in, in dynasty leagues, I think the possibility of him replicating what Rendon did at the plate in his peak, what he did in 2019, being a 330 home run guy is, is very possible. Now, make no mistake, Kiboom's not Rendon defensively, uh, but you know, for our purposes, it doesn't matter quite as much. Yes, that does not matter. Thank goodness. I don't want to ever play in a defensive war league or something. I really don't want to be involved in that one. Um, but that the comparisons and they line up, like you said, that has to make Nets fans feel a little better. Uh, with Keyboom, are we? I, I'm assuming so, but are we expecting him to start from game one and just play the whole season with the club, or is there still maybe a chance we don't see him for a month or so? I think there's a chance. I, I think that he'll have every opportunity to to break spring training with the team if he, if he hits well in spring training i think if he doesn't if he looks really bad or has a little bit of an injury it is possible that he spends a little bit of time in triple a but i think he ends up playing most of the time at either third base or second base for the nationals in 2020 all right let's talk two pitchers real quick uh we got dylan bundy who got traded to the los angeles angels of anaheim this offseason and bundy was one of those guys that i loved in the second half last year he started throwing a slider a ton more looked pretty good. He actually looked a little better than, a, you know, Dylan Bundy. But at the same time, it, it's Dylan Bundy, and you always have your question marks. Going to Anaheim could help a ton. What are you thinking for Bundy going into 2020? So, yeah, and Bundy is one of these guys that I've followed for a long time as well. When he was pitching in uh, at Double A Bowie, I remember going and watching him play there, and, and that back when he was throwing 97 or 98, and he was very exciting. And then, of course, he, he dealt with a ton of injuries. But as he's come back, he's kind of had to refigure out who he is as a pitcher. He doesn't have that blazing fastball anymore. Um, what he does have is a, he has his four seam still has a very high spin rate, which maybe that's encouraging and maybe that's why he throws it so much. But I think that what we're seeing, if you look at his year over year, he's throwing his four seam fastball a lot less. And that's a great thing for him because that's mm-hmm. the pitch that gets nailed. That's the pitch that has the 300 plus ISO against. Um, all of his other pitchers, he throws he throws a slider, as you mentioned, and that's his best pitch. He throws a changeup, he throws a curveball, and he also throws a sinker or two-seam fastball. And all of those pitches are are pretty good. All of them don't none of them get hit the way that, that four seam does. And all four of those pitches are ground ball pitches. They all induce grounders at 50% of a rate of 50% or better. Um, so I think that as he learns and, and it seems like he's he's inching this way as he learns heavier reliance on the slider and on the changeup and on the curveball, switching out some of those four seams for for sinkers perhaps. I think that there's still a lot of talent there and a lot of potential for Dylan Bundy to uh, to break out and to be maybe not the ace that he was projected to be when he was a prospect, but still a really good pitcher. A really good pitcher that's not in the AL East anymore. He's not pitching in Baltimore half his games. Like, there's a lot of things to like about Bundy leaving town and, and still at pick 319. I think that's one of those, you know, fifth, sixth, seventh starters on your fantasy roster. You'll you'll be pretty happy with from season's end. I really don't I – don't, I don't dislike that at all. Uh, the last pitcher we will discuss is Trevor Bauer. This is a polarizing individual on and off the field. And when it comes to fantasy baseball, last year was a massive – question mark is this the guy or are we getting the guy pre previous to 2019 which pitcher is trevor bauer for you going into 2020 yeah i mean i think that 2018 was best case trevor bauer um Mm -hmm. 2019 was maybe not worst case it probably could have gotten worse but it was pretty close to worst case (laughs) it's pretty bad when you're throwing balls in the center field it's pretty bad But if you look at his underlying numbers, and it really didn't change that much, he, he's going to be a lot better. This is this is not a, a four or a five ERA guy. This is a this is a maybe a three fifty type. You know, he's probably not a sub three either, but he's definitely somewhere in the threes for ERA, and he's got ton he's a ton of strikeout potential still there. You know, that didn't go anywhere last year. He's proved to be fairly durable. Um, I still like Trevor Bauer a lot. Nice, nice. Because the talent's there. Like when he's on, it's beautiful. Like even to start last year, he was going deep into games and looking good. It's almost like they left him in just a little too long early on last year and kind of skewed his overall stats a little bit. But I'm with you. It's going to be interesting. I guess it'll be kind of as the draft moves because still pick 82 overall, it gets interesting. But, you know, 
he goes right before Brandon Woodruff. Uh, he goes right before guys like James Patchen, who I like quite a bit. But um, it's not like he's going super early like he was last year. So you're not getting burned in that respect. But all right, Derek, that'll wrap us up. We'll have to do Factor Flukes next time. And I'm serious, we should probably record again pretty soon because I really, really enjoy talking baseball with you and, and all the, the knowledge you bring, the Mayberry Method. That was a great chat and conversation on. Um, why don't you remind everybody where they can find you and where, what work you got coming up at Baseball HQ? Absolutely. So you can, I write for baseballhq.com, a, uh, an article called Facts or Flukes. And uh, I, I don't write that frequently. I'm only about once a month, but uh, all the other writers who share in that article are fantastic. And as is all the, all the uh, content at baseballhq.com. You can also find me on Twitter at Derek BHQ. And uh, those are the main places you can find me. Yeah, awesome stuff. I highly recommend following him. He tweets out some awesome information and obviously some great stuff over at Baseball HQ. So go check out Derek over there. And Derek, once again, thanks for joining me, my friend. That was a great chat on some key players and the Mayberry method. Hey, you're very welcome. My pleasure. Everybody, this is Benjamin Bubba, episode 232 with Derek Boyd of Baseball HQ. We'll catch you guys later.